2: The following is a high-five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome
1: to Burger, Yippee! You like
3: a hot apple pie today? Yes. Yes.
4: Yeah, I won. woo
3: So that's a yes on the apple
4: pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes. Free daily rewards. Over 1,200 games. Yeah.
3: So yes or no on the apple pie?
4: Woo! Ha! I won again!
3: I'll take that as
4: a yes. Drive around.
2: Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High
4: Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in light of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and p and Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ community. So this pride, glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new and dull Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.
5: Hello, everybody. This is Robert Evans. I'm the host of Behind the Bastards, and this is Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. This is part two of our episode on Trophy Lysenko, the scientist who got everybody killed. And with me today, as with in part one, is Max Silvestri. Max, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back to talk more death caused by Russian. Well, before we get into that, I want to tell you something I noticed about your last name, which is okay. I enjoy saying Silvestri, but oh. it's one of the rare names that I enjoy writing more than I enjoy saying. Really? And I think it's because of the TRI. I don't the TRI. Know why I, yeah, I enjoy... Writing Sylvester. Oh, I've always felt it had a
3: weird rhythm to writing it. I don't. I get lazy by the end of it, especially my my full name is Maximilian, so it's like. Oh my gosh. I know you've got a lot of ground to cover. When I was a kid, I had to learn it rhythmically how to spell it. I still kind of tap my foot. I M I L I A N. But Scantrons were not made for the likes of you. No, no. No, 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 no. My nickname as a kid was Maximi, because that's in my preschool. <laughs> that's where it cut it off. Which, in hindsight, what kind of school like only allowed six letters yeah, for a first name? Yeah, that isn't a lot. Name? That's not many. <laughs> There's many common first names that hit six or more. Yeah, it's not weird. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for saying that, Robert.
5: Maximi is a pretty cool nickname, though. I yeah. Mean, that is I,
3: no, I did like it. It was like my first AOL screen name, I believe, in like 1994 it was
5: Maximi, with you no know. number. I was what? in early. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I feel like you had a choice to make there at some point as to whether or not to be a hip-hop artist, and you, you could have taken that road. Well, then if you the- can believe it, my middle name, and it's Ukrainian, actually,
3: is Shaft. It's my mom's Whoa. main name. So there was a moment Max- when-
5: Maximize Shaft?
3: Yeah, Maximilian Shaft, as Max- like, Shaft. A, you know, some sort of showbiz name, felt yeah. too much. I was like, I can't do it. It's going to feel like a bit. No one will believe it. So. Oh, my God. Man, I went to a family wedding this weekend and it was my cousin with the last name Shaft. And like I had never thought about the whole other side of the family that that got married into it. Just like the joke of all their speeches was like, I can't believe that our daughter is becoming (laughs) a Shaft. (laughs) She's now a Shaft. She's marrying all these Shafts. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that was an enjoyable digression. And a Ukrainian name, speaking of uh, yeah. people who had bad things done to them. Because we just talked the about Russians. the
5: starvation of the Ukraine. There we go. Man, that is a country that has just wound up getting screwed over by so many people. It's really, it's remarkable. I like know. yeah. <laughs> there's just these nations in history, the Congo's another one of them, where it's just like, oh, you guys have just been treated really badly by yeah. everyone for the last 300 years.
3: It's like, like, like Italy without the art or food. Um you're not as excited by it.
5: Yeah, I mean I like
3: Borscht. Oh no, I mean yeah. I like I like pierogi. Yeah, I just yeah, mean yeah. like a you know, every street corner doesn't have a pierogi restaurant right here in America. Right.
5: Yeah, not a lot of that. Yet. Yeah, yet. We need like a good Ukrainian music act to sweep the West, the Ukrainian invasion. Right. But not from the war one. Right, right, the, the right. The that word one. is a little, a little the, sour for res- them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about Trofim Lysenko, And um, where we last left off, the USSR had instituted Lysenko's policies. He had purged the scientists of the Soviet Union, the genetic scientists who didn't agree with Lysenkoism, And of course, millions of people had starved in Ukraine and in other parts of the Soviet Union as a result of uh, scientific fuckery. Sure. That's where we wound up last time, Uh, and this time we're taking a trip over to Chairman Mao's China to see what happened next with Lushenko, isn't we? Okay. So uh, as you will remember from part one, one of my sources for uh, these episodes was the wonderful book Hungry Ghosts, written by Jasper Becker. One chapter in that book, which focuses on the bad science of Lushenko and his comrades, opens with a quote from a Tang Dynasty poem that I felt was just too appropriate and inspired a choice not to include as we start this episode. Wow.
3: I never think of poems and books as being like, this was so necessary, but oh. yet this spoke to you in such a way that you want to repeat it.
5: Yeah, because it happens a lot in the books that I read for this. There will often be I'm like sure, a chunk yeah. from a poem, and I usually don't include that. But Epigraph? What is, what is that called at the beginning? Yeah, epigraph probably. Right? right? I don't, I'm not.
3: I just always feel like, uh, well, oh, cool, you know a poem. You know, like that is the energy that I feel when I read, you know?
5: Yeah, and this one is more, I think it accurately sums up the mood of the people that we're going to be talking about. Seeing all men behaving like drunkards, how can I alone remain sober? So, all right, that's where we're getting into. In 1949, Mao Zedong became the chairman of the Central People's Government. His rise to power had included an extensive and wildly successful propaganda campaign. Mao was the great leader, an infallible genius and brilliant Marxist, virtually incapable of making a mistake. After decades of war and chaos in China, he promised his people that he would make their country into a perfect state, a literal heaven on earth. Oh, great. I'm going to, yeah quote from that book here. The nation's poets, writers, journalists, and scientists, and the entire communist party joined him in proclaiming that utopia was at hand. Out of China, the land of famine, he would make China the land of abundance. The Chinese would have so much food that they would not know what to do with it, and people would lead a life of leisure, working only a few hours a day. Under his gifted leadership, China would enter the final stage of communism, ahead of every other country on earth. If the Soviets said they would reach communism in 10 or 20 years, Mao said the Chinese would get there in a year or two. In fact, he promised that within a year, food production would double or treble. Wow. It's too much food. That is too much food. You know, it's not good to have too
3: much food, you it, know? You're it, just going to have piles of rotting vegetables.
5: They started to worry about that. So one of the things that was instituted <laughs> as a result of their worry that there was just going to be way too much yeah. food is they instituted a program to get rid of the pests before the pests could eat all of the food that they were sure was about to be there. And so for like a, a period of weeks, all of the peasants in China were turned out to murder sparrows in mass to try oh. to kill all of the sparrows. Oh, man. And they did the same thing with a couple of bugs, too, where just, like, people would just be chasing down birds and bugs all day. Oh, my and, God. And if just... sparrows could talk, I'm <laughs> sure they would try to
3: just be, uh, yeah. <laughs> guys, uh, we're not sure that we're going to need to get rid of me. You might yeah. want the sparrows. You, you yeah. don't know.
5: Yeah, well, they had them a sparrow costume. Too much sparrow meat. <laughs> yeah. So one popular slogan at the time was work hard for a few years, happiness for a thousand, which sounds good, right? Yeah, well, like, that's great problem. Investment. Yeah. I can think of other countries that promised happiness for a thousand years. Was the idea
3: that like they had a plan to buckle down mm-hmm. and that just that they would be set up with abundance forever?
5: Yeah. That was, again, this idea that you saw in the Soviet Union, that once we perfect our society, we will perfect the people in it. And then none of these problems that have been present throughout... 12,000 however many years right. of recorded human history will happen anymore. We're just digging ourselves out of a hole because you've all been wrong. The people yeah, exactly. have been the wrong type of human. And now
3: so we figured it out. Uh, two years at most. Yeah. Five, maybe. a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
5: Couple of years and we'll reverse <laughs> right. this 12,000 year old train. Yeah. Peasants as far off as Tibet, who'd never so much as seen an airplane, were taught to expect that in the near future, quote, practically everything would be done by machines. In fact, a time would come when our meals would be brought by machines right up to our mouths. Wow. So this is like fully automated luxury communism that you're taught to expect here. And as they say
3: in The Simpsons, people will be needed to clean and maintain those robots or whatever. You know, like people will still have a
5: purpose. Yeah, yeah. But they won't need to suffer. They won't need to to labor miserably in the fields, and they won't starve in the winter, you know? Right. We'll, We'll still be a place for people, but it'll be in a perfect utopian state. So Mao intoxicated China with his view of what the future could be. And it's easy to see why that would be intoxicating after decades of brutal civil war and the Japanese invasion and basically a genocide being waged in a huge chunk of... Like, China had gone through a lot of shit. Yeah. It hadn't been a good run for them lately. Right. So they were eager for this. Music to their ears. Unfortunately for everyone, the scientific underpinning of the brave new world Mao envisioned was... Uh, the Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, Mao had spent years fighting as a guerrilla warlord against the other men who aimed to dominate mainland China. In the years before he won, he'd become a voracious consumer of Soviet propaganda. Much of this propaganda had to do with the spectacular record harvests the USSR was supposedly, but not really, having. Because remember, they were lying yeah. about that. Trofim Lyshenko was billed as the greatest scientific mind of the age, and Mao believed the propaganda, not just because he thought it was literally true, but because it ran intoxicatingly in line with what he already believed about the world. See, Mao was not a big scientific reality guy. Mm. One of his catchphrases was, quote, we should be like Marx entitled to talk nonsense. He lectured people about needing to make science more imaginative, saying stuff like, science is simply acting daringly. There is nothing mysterious about it. And there is nothing special about making nuclear reactors, cyclotrons, or rockets. You shouldn't be frightened of these things. As long as you act daringly, you will be able to succeed very quickly. You need to have spirit to feel superior to everyone, as if there was no one beside you. You shouldn't care about any first machine building ministry, second machine building ministry, or King Ha University, but just act recklessly, and it will be all right. Yeah, dream big, you
3: know? Baron Munchausen style. Just like, if you will it, come on. Yeah, just
5: f- balls to the wall, go crazy. Yeah. Like, what? It, Science is about recklessness. I'm not going to
3: sit down with a notebook (laughs) and mumbo-jumbo figure out what all this is, you know? Just
5: pour shit in beakers. Get on with it. Corn should be bigger. Do (laughs) it. Do it. Make the fucking corn (laughs) bigger. You can see why it would be fun, like in a world where people have been taught, no, science is about like painstaking research and checking your notes and... Yes. Yeah, gradually arriving at truth, chiseling away at that over time, just be like, nah, just fucking try shit, man. It's fine. Yeah, we're the
3: best, and we're going to be even better if you just listen to me. Don't worry about the logistics. Again, (laughs) another thing that unfortunately has no echoes <laughs> after this time. I mean, this was like such a sad chapter that closed so abruptly. So. Yeah,
5: I mean, one of the best things about history is that people learn all of their lessons from it and never repeat these mistakes of again. Of course, humans yeah. change, they change easily, yeah, uh, and yeah. the <laughs> change stick, I found. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to guess that Mao's attitude towards recklessness was probably useful to him in his career as a warlord. That can be good if you're, like, running an army to just sort of be daring and bold and stuff. A question, was he trying to impress communist Soviet
3: Union with, like, his adoption? Or was it more just like, no, I also believe this, and it's worked for them,
5: and I admire it? Or did he want to, like, get in better? It's certainly changed through time, but in this period, in the early period of, like, you know, 49 or so when he gets into power, he's very much trying to impress them. Okay. And I think it's a mix of legitimately wanting to impress them and also wanting to be the best at communism. Right. Like, that's the, like, well, I'm going to do communism better than you fuckers. Like. I
3: was Wiccan briefly in seventh <laughs> grade, because, like, some kids that I... uh hung out with, like one of them got into it. And I didn't really believe it. Uh, I don't know if any of us did, but we went to a magic shop and bought like source books or whatever. But I was, you know, a a teacher's pet type student. and, And in that brief two month period, I became like the best at w- Wiccanism, I like yeah. like knew the whole book. I'd like correct them and being like, oh no, that's that mojo bag positivity spell won't work like that, you know, and it won't work unless you bury it in you know new soil. Uh, so it wasn't that I believed it, but I did like excelling at it, you know.
5: Yeah, you want to memorize everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man. So like seventh grade Wiccan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chairman Mao decided that. His extreme knowledge of Lyshenkoist procedures and all of the reading he'd done of, you know, Soviet agricultural propaganda and whatnot had prepared him to reform the agricultural infrastructure of the largest and most populous nation on the planet.
3: Now were they going through like I imagine their climate is not universally quite as rough as Russia's. Were they going
5: through, like, terrible famine at that point? They were, but mostly because they'd just been fighting a giant civil war, okay. right? So that fucks up the food yeah, yeah. So, yeah, most pretty much everyone who was alive in China at that point had multiple times dealt with famine in their lives. So it was like, the promise that there will be no famines was very powerful, and also... He was fucking with something really intricate, like yeah, Chinese yeah. agriculture, right. like some of the oldest systems in the human planet right. were, were- Continually operating, yeah. you know, like ways of working and, the land. Yeah, it's one of those things we saw. We did an episode on the uh, the East India Company and in India yes, when they came in. Right. you right, and they tried yes. to like. I just... saw the first
3: three episodes of Taboo, so yeah, I have a pretty clear understanding.
5: Right, so like in China, you've got a very intricate agricultural system, and they decide to change everything. So, like in the Soviet Union, Chinese scientists with years of experience and impressive educations were seen as useless bourgeois specialists, too cowardly and timid to make great decisions. Because again, science requires recklessness. To be a great scientist, one had to be a peasant with an intuitive understanding of the natural world and a fervent belief in the philosophical underpinnings of the party. Even children could be great scientists. One popular propaganda book from this period was called They Are Creating Miracles. It told <laughs> It told stories about children in an elementary school who had, quote, developed 10 more new crops on its experimental plot. This was treated as fact, not fiction. It's a story. It's, this is what Montessori schools are, basically, right? You just yeah, let the yeah. kids come
3: up with new vegetables or whatever, and as long as you don't tell them no.
5: Make carrots, but yeah. with tomatoes on the inside. Go do it. <laughs> just be daring, you fucking children. <laughs> yeah. Quote It is a story out of a science fiction book, but no, my young friends, it is not. This is a true story. There are no fairy tale magicians, no white bearded wizards of Never Never Land. The heroes of our story are a group of young pioneers studying in an ordinary village primary school. It's a little excerpt from the book there. Yeah. So, the more Mao read of Lyshenko, Williams, and Maturin, those those great Soviet scientists, the uh, three great luminaries of Soviet agriculture, the more smitten with them he became. He would have read Lyshenkoist journals like Agrobiologia and run across quotes that tied Lyshenko's ideas to the very mind of Stalin. Here's a quote from one of the articles in Agrobiologia. Stalin's teachings about gradual, concealed, unnoticeable quantitative changes leading to rapid, radical, qualitative changes permitted Soviet biologists to discover in plants the realization of such qualitative transitions that one species could be transformed into another. So this is the shit Mao's reading. This is what he's coming to believe. Like, you can literally change the nature of these plants by, like, Altering them physically, like right. you can change them forever. And, and by what you're saying, Mao's not exactly doing deep dives on the the science. He's not double
3: checking Lord, numbers no. here. He's just kind of like skimming to the last paragraph and being like, "This sounds fantastic."
5: And a lot of what he's reading is tying sort of Stalin's mind and ideals directly to the science, which is leading him to think that like, well, a forceful personality can almost change the nature of science by like what he understands and believes about yeah. the world. So Mao began to tell his friends of his exciting plans to have Chinese peasants plant seeds close together, saying, with company they will grow easily. When they grow together they will be comfortable. Mao, like Lashenko, felt that plants of the same type could not compete with each other. The Chinese Communist Party gained its own with scientists, Lu Tianyu, who went on to persecute all of that country's experts in genetics. Throughout the 1940s, he mandated that Soviet agricultural science and best practices had to be used. Fascist eugenicist scientists who accepted heritability were arrested or forced to denounce their old beliefs. Soviet science reigned supreme. Here's a quote from one Chinese doctor about his experience in college at the time. We were told the Soviets had discovered and invented everything, even the aeroplane. We had to change textbooks and rename things in Lyshenko's honor. So the Harving-Cushing syndrome, a disease of the adrenaline gland, became Lushenko's syndrome to show (laughs) it had been discovered by him. Since genetics did not exist, we were forbidden to talk about inherited diseases such as sickle cell anemia, even to students. This meant that all through Mao's lifetime, there was no policy to stop people in the same family marrying each other and passing down their genes. A lot of idiots were born as a result. His words. (laughs) Idiots. <laughs> These idiots. Yeah. No, idiots. No, in the traditional sense of the word. I don't mean yeah. idiots
3: like uh, they bother me at parties. I mean, like yeah, they're, yeah. they're true I mean, idiots. They, oh, yeah. man.
5: Yeah. What, so.
3: what did China have at that point, uh, 49 or whatever, like was there a, a tradition of bourgeois scientists that were following a kind of uh, world stage, Western
5: style of scientific method? Or I think it was more that scientists in China, like scientists everywhere, connected with other scientists around the world to learn what they were doing right. and try to uncover truth better and those scientists probably were not dogmatic about much of anything because good scientists aren't dogmatic I mean before they died it must have been so
3: annoying to scientists which was relatively in the scheme of history a new new. thing they're like no no, none of that we're not doing magic anymore now we got science and then like the new scientists be like actually
5: we're gonna do some magic yeah it's gonna be pretty magical (laughs) it's it's gonna be magic children are scientists (laughs) now anyway you have to die oh man yeah Lushenko's theory demolished Chinese agriculture just as it had Russian agriculture, a potato blight hit in the 1950s. Under Lushenkoism, the cause of the blight was assumed to be environmental, not the result of a stunning lack of biodiversity among the potatoes. Good research that was done into the blight was suppressed for decades when the findings contradicted scientific orthodoxy. As a result, Mao-era China grew, by some accounts, half as many potatoes as it should have during this period. I don't want to get too deep into the woods on communist botany in the mid-20th century.
3: I do like the idea that someone was like, this is how many potatoes they should have grown.
5: Well, you can look at like, this is how much land they dedicated to potatoes and how many potatoes they need to make for people right. to not die from lack of potatoes. Oh, man. Yeah. I talked to the Irish about that. One of the things that was really big in communist botany in this period was grafting and crossing different species with one another. It wasn't Ooh. useful for mass agriculture, but countless peasant scientists would be lauded in the press for, like, growing grapes on a persimmon tree or apples from a pear tree, where you're just splicing off pieces of trees. And so you have one tree that grows multiple fruits. Right. Like, it's a thing you can do in your yard, and it's cool and whatnot. You can? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, Oh, yeah.
3: I would be like, oh, another example of magic that's not true, the idea of having two citrus fruits on one tree. No, you
5: can totally do that. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know... with It's... Like, not every plant can be done that way, but there are I a lot of different... I wish I hadn't different...
3: burned the guy that I saw
5: that had that in his yard. Uh, you just saw an apple and a pear on yeah, the same like, tree and started lighting out. fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His poor house. Oh, my God. There's nothing but ash. No, like, to an extent you can do that. But, like, it's not... It's not a
3: solution for more yeah. production or anything. It's
5: a neat thing for your own garden. It's not something that is really useful in a mass agricultural scale, right? It, it takes a lot of time. And right? It's not like... You, you might as well just grow a different field of apples in a field of persimmons and whatnot there's right. no reason not to but it was cool and it was impressive to people at the time and they were just figuring this out so like that's one of the things that would make the news a lot is they talk about like look at all these scientists who have crossed these two right. different fruits and whatnot together i had mezcal this weekend that had a pear in the bottle
3: like a full pear Ooh. and we were trying to figure out very briefly and drunkenly how they got the pear and i was like well it's not some sort of ship in a bottle type situation where they you know, had a flat pear, and then it got <laughs> fat. I was like, maybe they put a dried pear in, and the mezcal, what they do is they have the tiny little pear in the tree, they hang the tree with the bottles oh, so that's that it cool. grows inside. And I was like, that is cool, but also not the most efficient way to bottle alcohol or grow pears to have a handful of trees, or perhaps a whole field of them with bottles on we- the end. It seems novel rather than super useful.
5: Well, I mean, yeah. It's I mean, not- it was delicious. Mezcal yeah.
3: went down so smooth. I didn't even need a lime with Did it. Did you eat the pear? You know, we didn't drink that much, and, and
5: luckily. I mean, would you break the bottle? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to. Like, get, right. a, get a glass saw or something like Get a little that, bit but, of glass in you or whatever. I just want to drink a mezcaled up pear. That sounds delicious. Yes, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so grafting and crossing all these plants and stuff became something of a meme in Red China, and soon the state news filled with fanciful stories of pumpkins crossbred with papaya, corn crossed with rice, and other such nonsense, which wow. you can't do. Can't make corn rice. Corn. <laughs> you Can't make corn is rice. Is it that a, a ear of corn has rice in it? Cooked or, rice on the, instead of kernels. Uh, unclear. Okay. It would be kind of cool either way. Yes. Uh, uh, totally. Yeah,
3: but it didn't happen. Neither um, would really fulfill a need that I have. You no. Know, I go in for different reasons when I'm going for both of those two. Yeah.
5: Never again will man. <laughs> You have to go to two different places for rice, grains, and corn cob. <laughs> I'm tired of when I eat rice that there's nothing to rotate. Yeah. Um, and so that would have solved that problem. That's really frustrating. So different districts would compete with each other for like claiming wild successes and things that could like go in the local newspapers and stuff. Uh, there were stories of like 130 pound pumpkins and whatnot, most of which were complete lies. I feel like that's still a thing we're covering in the news today. Yeah. Somebody grows a really big fruit and you're like, look at this big fruit. Yes, exactly. Cool. I mean, I almost yeah. feel
3: like it's pre social media. Uh, yeah. You know, American Heartland memes was like 10 times forwarded emails that had just like, look at this giant. Yeah. Pumpkin the size of a man.
5: This is that, and this is kind of how the craze over this new science starts to sweep China. You know, at first it's not super negative. Like, yeah, I mean, they're definitely not growing as many potatoes, but like, it's mostly just people being like, "Well, I can be a scientist. Right. Look at what I did to this tree. Look at I look at the, this photo
3: of my husky son next <laughs> to a potato yeah.
5: as tall as he is. Yeah. You know, come on, this will inspire people for a decade." Yeah, a mix of actual neat little experiments right. and just lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we're gonna get into the Great Leap Forward. Next, which um, was not a great time for most people. But
3: it's Uh, called The Great Leap Forward. I know, I know.
5: Sometimes advertisements are not true. But in this case, the advertisements are true because they're the ads for our show, and they're great. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal, and get three months of premium wireless service for fifteen bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to MintMobile.com/behind. That's MintMobile.com/behind. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at MintMobile.com/behind. Forty five dollar upfront payment required, equivalent to 15 bucks a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every Four hours only at HighFiveCasino.com.
4: high5casino is a social casino no purchase necessary, void where prohibited play responsibly, terms and conditions apply see website for details at high5casino.com high5casino
1: happy pride from TomboyX. we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded, queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
5: And we're back. Uh, We're talking, uh, well, we were about to talk about the Great Leap Forward, which started in 1958. It was Chairman Mao's big sort of plan to rapidly turn China into an industrial and agricultural powerhouse. Now, one aspect of the leap that's probably most famous was the creation of countless backyard furnaces and steel smelting plants in peasant villages designed to sort of, the idea was like, we don't need to all like move into cities and make big factories like the rest of the world. We can just have our peasants be like producing this sort of They didn't make good steel. Turns out farmers don't make great steel in their backyards.
3: Uh, Well, we are going to need that steel for when all the robots do all the tasks in the near, near future. We might as well start building the steel. We might not have the robots yet.
5: Yeah, we we get the steel ready. The robots (laughs) will... Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. anyway. uh, It also involved an eight-point blueprint for Chinese agriculture written up by Mao himself and based heavily in Lyschenko's theories. The eight points included close planting and deep plowing. Yeah real deep plowing, two things that by 1953, the Soviet Union knew did not work. Because again, they had this data, they just weren't sharing it because they didn't want to embarrass themselves by admitting that they'd starved a lot of people unnecessarily with bad science. So they hadn't shared it, but were they like quietly changing practices? They were starting to by the mid-50s or so. Like by, yeah, certainly by the late 50s, some of this had started to change in the Soviet Union, but they weren't letting people know. And so China was just like, I guess this stuff works. We'll give it a shot. Ourselves, so prior they would have told us. Yeah, they would have told us if this was <laughs> killing <on>. people. <laughs> yeah. Prior to Lashankoism 1.5 million seedlings had been spread per 2.5 acres of farmland in China. Right in 1958, as part of the Great Leap Forward, Chinese farmers were ordered to plant six and a half million seedlings per two and a half acres. So that's I mean 1.5 million seedlings to six and a half million wow. seedlings. That's a lot more seeds yes. being planted in the same amount of dirt. And in 1959, the government increased the number of seedlings to between 12 and 15 million per two and a half acres. So they're just dowsing way too many fucking seeds in the land, and they're going to hoping that these seeds start talking to each other and be like you know what we gotta start growing differently like people seeds are stronger together
3: (laughs) yes exactly Yeah,
5: (laughs) group dynamics I remember something about Um, every important crop in China was planted using this method and across the board almost all of the seedlings died state propaganda photographers would do things like find a field of wheat that was growing hide a bench inside it and have kids stand on the bench so that they could at least claim that the wheat was growing so dense that children could walk across the top of a field of wheat wow so like in reality they're having huge trouble getting stuff to grow and in the areas where it is growing it's not growing any denser than it ever came in before but they're essentially faking it. They're
3: cropping the photos in a way that it makes it look like their, uh, you know, potato inauguration
5: is uh, far more populated with potatoes than perhaps it actually is. Yeah, and many people didn't know this was bullshit. Millions of farmers were watching crops die. The propagandists who, you know, stuck benches inside of fields knew that they were faking yields. This was all essentially a play put on for Chairman Mao, out of what was probably a mix of genuine desire to please the chairman and fear of what would happen if their yields didn't match what he'd already declared to be reality. One witness to a visit from Mao to the Zin experimental field outside Tianjin in 1958 recalled that before he arrived, everyone grabbed rice plants from other fields and shoved them together so tightly that you really could walk across them. Once Mao left, the rice was replanted. Mao's doctor recalled seeing the same thing done in a different city the chairman visited. He later stated, all of China was a stage, all the people performers in an extravaganza for Mao. So wow. everybody's just like, we gotta, we gotta, this, this is the guy. Yeah, like yeah. we've got to make it look like this shit's
3: working. And weirdly, like walking on it is the way we've all decided that. Yeah, thing, it is weird. Meme great. spread like, yeah, yeah.
5: Uh, it's, it's gonna grow so dense we can walk across. <laughs> right, huh? it. right. right. This well, is the thing we're committing to that. <laughs> How oh. else can you say it's growing a lot of fucking corn? Like, uh, were there purges happening? Yet, yeah, I mean, I know as a thing, people were murdered that didn't there quite was, fall line. There were mind, definitely but... purges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's purging. He's okay. purging during this period. So Mao also fell in love with the idea that that Soviet scientist, Williams, had come up with, basically that planting seeds super deep was a good idea. But where Stalin had been content to find scientists whose theories agreed with his own theories, Mao saw himself as an innovator. So he figured that if planting seeds deep was good, planting seeds even deeper was even better. Oh, my God. Yeah, why yeah. stop there? These scientists didn't
3: have the ambition of his imagination. Of planting yet. it... Way too deep. Guys,
5: we all know that ground is this deep, but what if, I'm just saying, even deeper? Yeah, even deeper. As deep as you possibly can. Often, he would have basically whole armies of peasants dig enormous furrows in the land, sometimes 10 feet deep, in order to plant seeds. It's like how I, as a comedian,
3: know that wearing two hats is very funny, but you know what's even funnier than that? Wearing three hats. Three hats. (laughs) just
5: go bigger. Yeah, and Mao would be walking into the room with like 40 or 50 hats on.
3: (laughs) And everyone would also be like, we also need to put these hats on. Everybody get on that many hats.
5: (laughs) How dare you not have 30 hats? (laughs) walk across the (laughs) hats in one province 5 million people were ordered to plow for 45 straight days in order to prepare 3 million hectares of land in the north where the soil was too frozen to dig into holes were blasted with dynamite in order to help them dig deeper this logic also applied to rice paddies, which meant peasant farmer women had to wade deeper into the paddies than they'd ever gone before, often catching infections as a result. In at least one province, farmers had to tie ropes around their waists to avoid drowning in the rice paddies, because they were just going so deep. Oh my god. Yeah, just way too deep. Uh, Leschenkoist agrobiology also meant that Chinese farmers couldn't use chemical fertilizers anymore. Mao had the government end all its spending to build new chemical plants and instead tried the same sort of bullshit fertilizer recipes the Russians had used. Generally, mix of 10% manure and 90% normal dirt. According to Leschenkoism, the manure would magically transfer all its properties to the regular dirt. This practice led to farmers just mixing in random garbage with dirt. Here's a quote from Hungry Ghosts. People in Guangzhou took their household rubbish to the outskirts of the city where it was buried for several weeks before being put out on the fields. Near Shanghai, peasants dumped so much broken glass that they could not walk across the fields in bare feet. Others broke up the mud floors of their huts and their brick stoves and even pulled down their mud walls to use as fertilizer. You know, to Mao's credit, I I know that's maybe not right, but if
3: I were to put a little of my own manure into, say, a bowl of mashed potatoes... And mix it together, I would kind of be like, that's all manure now. I wouldn't be like, well, there's still there are a lot of good mashed potatoes in yeah.
5: there. When you are mixing poop with food, yes, ten <laughs> yes. percent poop means all of the really, food. Really it's is all poop food. It's yeah, all yeah. poop now. Hundred percent. That is a fair point. But it doesn't work that way when you're trying to create <laughs> right, fertilized right, right, right. soil. <laughs> so Mao's government expected crop yields to triple after all of this heroic innovation, but that meant they were also going to have to deal with a surge in pests, as I mentioned. So yeah, in nineteen fifty eight he ordered farmers to run around banging pots and pans to exhaust all of the sparrows to death. We already went over that.
3: Clearly this is all like a plot from someone inside the government that hates sparrows. Uh, Just
5: a long play to get rid of sparrows. I'll show you. How many people starve if we get rid of those goddamn
3: birds? Get off my roof!
5: (laughs) Wacky as this all was, for a while things looked like they were going great. 1958 was a good year for weather and rampant lying made it look like the autumn harvest had quadrupled. Mao and his comrades started discussing how to handle the massive food surplus they knew they were soon going to have. It was reported that field, had been producing less than 330 pounds of grain per one-fifth of an acre, now produced 45 to 53,000 pounds of grain, which, if true, would be an amazing rate of increase. God, they have too much food. They should just start destroying the food they
3: have now just to make room for the new food coming in.
5: (laughs) It's weird that you predicted exactly what happens next. Oh, no. You're going to need that food. So uh, all of that information on how much grain they were growing was lies the state statistical bureau had been shuttered and replaced by good news reporting stations which just (laughs) spouted increasingly lurid lies about the harvest and so for a little while china thought it had more food than it knew what to do with so in the autumn of 1958 chinese citizens were told to eat like it was going out of style one slogan at the time was eat as much as you can and exert your utmost in production Peasants in a village called Zhengdu told anthropologists later that, quote, everyone irresponsibly ate, whether they were hungry or not, and in 20 days they had finished almost all the rice they had, rice which should have lasted six months.
3: Oh, my God.
5: (laughs) So I do
3: now feel guilty that that is my attitude to eating three to five times a day. It's like, well, when it starts to hurt...
5: That's when you stop. That's when you stop, until it hurts. Man, and I'm not getting out in the fields and doing any labor. No, I mean, one of the good rules of thumb with life is that if you do whatever you're doing until it hurts, about 50% of the time, that will be the right thing to do.
3: (laughs) Your body has a way of telling you to stop, which is
5: uh, (laughs) causing you physical discomfort. Yeah, so if you work out till it hurts... That's yeah. Good. Right. Pain you is just weakness leaving the body. That's yeah. what we're always and saying. And The yeah. same thing is true with eating or with snorting a lot of cocaine. Right. You know, do coke until you start to bleed too much to do more coke. And then right. it's time to stop doing switch coke. Switch nostrils. Right. Switch yeah. nostrils, switch <laughs> drugs. Yeah. You know, move to the butt till your veins collapse. Yeah. <laughs> do it till it hurts. Advice for all of our listeners. (laughs) So, Wei D, a survivor of the Great Leap Forward, later recalled, We lived well. We ate a lot of meat. It was considered revolutionary to eat meat. If you didn't eat meat, it wouldn't do. People even vied with each other to see who could eat the most. (laughs) So they're having an eating contest. They are being ordered, basically, to eat their entire winter supply of food in a couple of weeks. Just oh my because, God. why not? Right. <laughs> like there's going to be so much food. I, I know it's going to take a hard right
3: turn, Robert, but uh, this is all sounding pretty nice to me right now. It, I mean, it does. Come on. It's coming down from on high.
5: like. And if you're in. one of these peasants after years of war and privation, eat as much meat as you can. Right. Like You're feeling great. Oh you're my feeling God. like this fucking communism thing. There's no downsides. Yeah. I mean, it's up, 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 up. I can't imagine the graph changing. Yeah. We got plenty of meat, plenty of grain. That's really all we care about, like, (laughs) other than the stuff we have that's not meat and grain. But anyway, it seems great for a while. People ate so much that by the time winter came around, the granaries were empty, and most of China was running out of food. So there's that hard right turn. Mm. The state still had full granaries, but rather than hand out food to the people, Mao convinced himself that the peasants were hiding grain to be counter-revolutionary. It was very important to him that communism seemed to be doing well in China. He didn't want to look bad to the USSR. So he had China double her grain exports and cut down on imports. That way, it would at least look like a success. Now,
3: oh, man, this is like a rom-com where, like, two characters hate each other or, like, uh, are too afraid to tell the other person the truth because they don't want to look bad. But really, like, if they just came together and had a sit-down conversation, which they might at the end of this film, they'd be like, we have a lot in common. I don't Mm -hmm. have any grain.
5: Do you have any grain? None. (laughs) Oh, my God. I've been trying to impress you this whole time. It would be really fun to do a nice romantic comedy (laughs) set during just as 20 million people starve to death. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Stalin and Mao having a meet-cute and just oh, up. my oh, God, what a chat. cute movie that would <laughs> yes. be. Yes, oh, boy. Uh, or a Stalin and Mao buddy cop comedy right. where it's the 1980s and they both live in Hawaii and, like, they've <laughs> got to take down a cocaine smuggling ring. <laughs> Maybe would... a
3: road movie where they're just, like, going to get more grain to get, you know, something where it's just, like, they have to spend a lot of time in a, in a truck together. In a, in a car together, Yeah, yeah. yeah
5: there's a lot of fun potential in that been premise. Done yet. yeah okay so the uh, collective farming system that Mao and you know his regime had induced meant that the farmers were never actually in direct control of the food that they grew and harvested It went into communal granaries and was cooked in communal kitchens. All this meant that it was under the direct control of party functionaries, who all wanted to deliver record-breaking allocations to the government. So food that could have fed people was given to the government for the sake of individual party members' careers, and Mao then shipped it out of the country for the sake of his own ego. 1958's harvest had been the highest in a decade, but by the spring of 1959, more than 24 million people were starving in China. Mao, being Mao, was incapable of attributing his nation's growing problems to his own politics policies the increasingly evident failures of the great leap forward were only quote tuition fees that must be paid to gain experience so that's an artful way of putting yeah i mean he does have a similar attitude towards tuition as uh, a lot of people in this country today yeah the lenders in this country right yeah (laughs) uh when his braver aides brought up just how bad things were starting to look in the countryside mao said quote come back in 10 years and see whether we were correct China is not going to sink into the sea and the sky won't tumble down simply because there are shortages of vegetables and hairpins and soap. Imbalances and market problems have made everybody tense, but this tension is not justified, even though I am tense myself. No, it wouldn't be honest to say I'm not tense. If I am tense before midnight, I take some sleeping pills and then I feel better. You ought to try sleeping pills if you feel uptight. So. <laughs> Wait, that's a real quote? Yeah, yeah oh my Mao. god, Uh-oh. That's Mao's advice when his guys are like, you know, tens of millions of people are starving. And he's like, try some drugs. Oh my god, I... Yeah. I think I follow someone like him on Instagram. I, I think that. I am someone like him a lot of the time, but I've never tried to reform a continent's right. farming practices. Oh, man. Was I Mao... just get high a lot. <laughs> Was Mao at all like when these things,
3: when he saw that they were not going well, did any part of him feel like it's the people's fault for not allowing the system to change them or to not love forging themselves in a newer, better you know, versions, or was he just sort of like, oh, bad weather? I don't bad know luck. Enough
5: about him to say what was going on in his own internal heart, but the things that he said and the practices that he put out as a result of, like, these problems, portray a man who believes that the issues in his plan are due to selfish people who are not following the plan, who are hoarding grain, who are refusing to give up what they owe to the government and whatnot. Like, that's the issue. Right. So people in are the long food. in
3: the long term, if he just, like, keeps a strong hand or a stronger one,
5: yeah. it'll all work out. Because they're not really starving. They're hiding food because they don't want to give it to the government. They're eating in secret and stuff like that. Oh, like man. That's his... What he kind of Were they rounding is, up fat children and just being like, you were hiding grain and eating uh, I don't it. think they were fat children. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, disaster probably could have been averted. The government had a lot of food in storage, and if the flaws in the system had been admitted, the bad practices halted and changed back to normal, things might have been okay for Chinese agriculture. But that would have meant Mao and his comrades admitting to flaws and their ideologically consistent scientific theories. It also would have meant backpedaling on all of the propaganda they'd put out. So rather than admit any error... Mao doubled down. Anyone who does not make a great leap is a rightist conservative. Some people think that a leap is far too adventurous. It is new. It may not be perfect, but it is not an adventure. All must have revolutionary optimism and revolutionary heroism. So y'all are just too scared of the future. Yeah. And that's why this is having some growing pains. I'm a revolutionary. We all got to yeah. be a little... We all got to be revolutionaries. Those growing pains might
3: feel a lot like hunger pains, but tr- yeah. it's growing I pains.
5: mean, not for me yeah. or the other cadres, the members of
3: the Communist Party in China, because we all are eating well. We have cause... a disgusting amount of grain. Yeah. I'm, if I see one more <laughs> bowl of grain,
5: I am done. <laughs> yeah. I throw out more than I eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> My dog lives like a king. <laughs> yeah. So the autumn of 1959 harvest was 30 million tons lower than the 1958 harvest had been. Officials, however, reported that the harvest was the highest ever. This saved them from reporting failure to Mao, but it also meant that the government based its taxes that year on the expectation that the country had grown more food than ever. And so in 1959, a year of famine, the Chinese government levied the highest taxes in recent history. Peasants were required to turn over 40% of their total output, and since that total output was a fake number calculated via nonsense math, they were basically ordered to hand over all of their food, and in many cases, more food than they actually had. So, well that those numbers just aren't going to work out, Robert, no. for anybody. <laughs> no they don't.
3: know. Oh, no. And I bet they get all mad <laughs> yeah. when they don't pay their taxes. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. I didn't pay my taxes for five years. I didn't file, and it took five years for me to hear anything about it. I bet that's not what the case was
5: then. No, no, no. Actually, I-, I will say this. Everybody whines about the IRS. Like, I grew up in a pretty conservative part of the world, and they're always talking about how horrible it is. As someone who's been late on his taxes a few times, they're actually pretty easy to deal with.
3: Yeah, they try to find a solution. Like, they, they really just was... want you to give them something, yeah. and they'll work with you. Look at us just defending the IRS here, and they're reasonable
5: policies i mean i like roads yeah (laughs) i I. I like ambulances totally (laughs) okay speaking of something else i like products and services that support the show and let's let those products and services advertise to us and uh, irritate the ghost of mousy dung
1: happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
2: top Two is like no other course two 420 foot vertical speedways three launches all right let's talk strategy
4: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
5: No purchase necessary. group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. Boy, those were some good products. Oh, my services. God.
3: I mean, I... For the, for the ones that meet my needs, I'm definitely going to think oh, yeah. about exchanging goods or money for them.
5: Oh, yeah. Goods or money. Yeah they'll, yeah. they'll take both, usually. Yeah. yeah. Trade's big. Trade is bit Barter. Oh, my god. I'm all about barter. Oh, my god. Way to see these clamshell necklaces that I make. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So, we just talked about the uh, autumn 1959 harvest, which was 30 million tons lower than it had been the year before, and the fact that they calculated the taxes based on sort of nonsense math of what they hoped it would be. And so... They wound up essentially taxing most peasants more than they'd actually grown. I'm going to read another quote from Hungry Ghosts here. In many places, the entire harvest was seized. Sometimes, officials reported a harvest so big that even after taking away everything they could, including all livestock, vegetables, and cash crops, they still continued to search from house to house. Mao had ordered officials not only to deliver the grain quotas, but also to set quotas for pigs, chickens, ducks, and eggs. Party leaders went from village to village, leading the search for hidden food reserves. It was a brutal and violent campaign in which many peasants were tortured and beaten to death. So, again... IRS isn't sounding so bad now. I know. Oh, so <laughs> this is a real
3: dumb question, but like money taxes pay for things yeah, yeah. the state
5: needs. You, you, give the, you give the government dollars and they use the dollars to pay a guy to make sure the roads aren't falling apart. Absolutely. Right. That's my understanding. So yeah. when they're taking the food
3: and on principle, on principle that like, well, we're all afraid of saying that the, what the truth is, yeah. um, is it just so that the capital – Has a ton? Or Are they selling it? Is this is there global trade going on where it's somehow like benefiting?
5: The idea is both that you know the state is supposed to take care of everyone's food needs, so you give all your food to the state and then it redistributes it. This is how it's supposed to perfectly work. And of course, also they're not just exporting to the Soviet Union; they're exporting, they're supporting North Korea at this point because it's this idea that like the food that we produce will be used. You know, some of it we will have to sell for resources so that we can buy things that we can't yet make ourselves, and we can continue to expand and eventually create this wonderful socialist block. can compete against the decadent, you know, the terrible West and whatnot.
3: Um, with our spread out seeds, with our with sluttily, no, sluttily no, spread they're out, they're fucking seeds. whorishly spread out yeah, yeah, yeah. seeds. Oh they're my filthy god! God damn! So much corn. room, so much soil
5: around them. Oh Goddamn fertilizer, <laughs> swimming in it. Oh boy. Okay, so obviously willful denial of reality can only last for so long, as uh, we in the West learned with a little war called All of the Wars We Fought in the Last (laughs) 70 Years. (laughs) Eventually it became clear that even the heavy-handed methods used by the government weren't turning up as much food as they ought to have. Since Russian agricultural science was obviously flawless, Mao came to the conclusion that the peasants were just burying their grain underground to hide it. He accused them of eating turnips and pretending to starve by day and eating rice secretly at night. In reality, most people were subsisting on gruel served in communal kitchens that was made mostly out of grass and inedible plants. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, what else are you going right, to do? Right. <laughs> I think those are now called grain bowls in LA. Yeah. Well, no, now you would pay $14 sure. to have one of those yeah. out of a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts yeah, and yeah. seeds your body can't digest. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the food of this city. <laughs> uh, at the end of the year, while tens of millions of people starved, the People's Daily newspaper advised peasants to, quote, practice strict economy, live with the utmost frugality, and only eat two meals a day, one of which should be soft and liquid. Which, again, sounds pretty much like California right yeah, now. come on. Have you a soil on the run, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> you will be glad to know that while tens of millions of people were starving, Mao gave up meat. Oh, That's good, you know. Follow the leader. Come on. Exactly. Everybody, give up meat. Oh, you. We took all the meat. Right. And we beat half of you to death because you didn't give us your chickens. Oh. Oh, life's funny sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) The Great Famine would last until 1961 and go down as the deadliest peacetime disaster in Chinese history. During this entire time, Mao's government continued to export grain to North Korea, the Soviet Union, and elsewhere. As a result of their desire to hide the famine and put on a successful face, the provinces that grew the most food during the famine were the provinces where the most peasants starved. Oh, God. Yeah, so the people who are actually making the most food are the people who are most likely to die in the end conservatively 25 to 30 million people died from the famines that came from the great leap forward you will hear higher numbers as well it is a very politicized death toll both because people conservatives in the west have a vested interest in making it seem higher mm-hmm. so you'll sometimes hear 50 million 60 million and also people who are you know further to the left or even maoists today have a desire in downplaying the famine 25 to 30, maybe 35 million seems like a very fair estimate based on what I've read, which is obviously a nightmare. It's a big range, but it's all bad. It's probably roughly half the death toll of World War II. Starved to death during this famine that didn't need to happen. Oh, my God. You know? So... These deaths were the result of many different bad policy decisions. You know, the idea to like make steel in backyard furnaces and stuff was not great.
3: I've tried um, to smelt,
5: and I'm I just, I don't know.
3: I've tried, you know, amateur, you know, yeah. you go online, you watch these videos. Yeah, you, you get know? set it up in your backyard,
5: you melt down your plowshares. Of exactly. course. Yeah, yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. Then you, you get a real thing to it. So that's with.
3: liquid, and then you let it cool into the shape you
5: want. Oh, I, I tried, it never works. Yeah, no, it's not great. Um, so there were a lot of factors in the Great Leap Forward and why so many people starved, but Lushenkoism was maybe the number one contributing factor to this family wow. the blame for many of these deaths then must land on the head of Trofim Lushenko uh, it is very likely although impossible to prove to 100% certainty that Lushenko was responsible for more death than any other scientist in human history um, although there's still time for the, yeah. the guys who made the atom bomb to, to take that you yeah know. <laughs> right come on but right now it's probably Lushenko
3: where is he right now again?
5: Oh, he's back in the Soviet Union. That's about where we're about to get oh, back good, to. Good, good, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Trofim's dominance in the Soviet agricultural science started to degrade in 1953 after the death of Stalin. Some of this was due to the millions of people who'd starved, but a lot of it had to do with some very public post World War II failures. Right after the war ended, Lushenko launched the Great Stalin Plan for the Transformation of Nature. He believed that he could change Russia's climate and make it warmer by growing <laughs> millions upon millions of trees. That might work if you could do it. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like it might actually work. But because he was Lushenko, he ordered all of the seeds and saplings to be planted incredibly close to each other. And all of the plants died. You know, I feel like (laughs) if you're trying to grow
3: things, the essential thing is to grow them right. He has all these other big ideas, but can't actually nail just...
5: It's like people have been growing trees for forever. Yeah. Like we know.
3: (laughs) We know. (laughs) There's forests everywhere you look. Come on. You don't need to change that up.
5: So yeah, he tries to plant millions and millions of trees really, really close together, but the plants all died. Of course, um, of course, they didn't die before the composer Shashkovich had written his choral symphony, "The Song of the Trees," and Bertolt Brecht had penned this poem about the forest that was supposed to happen, but never wound up actually growing because, anyway, don't it... put
3: your poem before the forest is what I always say. You know, let the
5: forest grow and then write. There's the poem. a lot of wisdom there. <laughs> I don't know. put your poem. But <laughs> well, I'm going to read the poem for this non-existent forest anyway. <laughs> So let us, with ever newer arts, change this earth's form and operation. Gladly measure thousand-year-old wisdom by new wisdom one year old. Dreams, golden if, let the lovely flood of grain rise higher. So.
3: Oh, all the more tragic. <laughs> yeah. Beauty wasted on <laughs> yeah. Yeah. science yeah, not working. A really it, bad science. If only he'd just known he just needed to, like, have cars with not catalytic converters instead of trees or whatever. He probably could have accomplished
5: Oh, yeah, that would have...
3: The same thing. In, I don't know, warming Russia. <laughs>
5: just to have everyone pollute a lot until yeah, it gets Exactly, nicer. yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, they're getting that
5: anyway, so... You're the way welcome. the Chinese
3: ate rice, uh, yeah. we just needed to drive... Pointlessly in Russia. Come on, everyone. It's your duty to just go in circles. Just go
5: in circles on the one road. In 1962, the first generation of post-purge Soviet scientists began to carefully try to dismantle the myth of Lushenko. Nikita Khrushchev, Stalin's successor, protected Lushenko for a little while, but Khrushchev lost his job in 1964. In that same year, physicist Andrei Sakharov denounced Lushenko to the Russian Academy of Sciences quote he is responsible for the shameful backwardness of Soviet biology and of genetics in particular for the dissemination of pseudoscientific views for adventurism for the degradation of learning and for the defamation firing arrest and even death of many genuine scientists so Sakharov is spitting some fire yeah. against Lashanko damn yeah it's, that's pretty damning In 1965, Lushenko was removed from his position as the director of the Institute of Genetics and forced onto a tiny experimental farm where he was allowed to continue his mostly (laughs) lie-based research alone. That same year, the president of the Academy of Sciences declared that Lushenkoism was no longer immune to criticism because it had been legally immune to criticism since, I think, 46. An expert commission was sent to look into Lushenko's experimental farm and study his methods. They found that he was an obvious and tremendous fraud. These results were published, permanently demolishing Lyschenko's career and reputation.
3: Oh, I mean, I have truly no sympathy for this man and who he killed. But the image of, you know, this deeply fallen from grace scientist on a small little experimental farm trying to make... I imagine a, a grain a, a or some yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying yeah. to do whatever. Being maybe the seed should be even closer. What you if know, I e- e- even more seeds? Yeah, maybe just maybe the problems we're not digging deep enough. You guys give me too few seeds, and now everything's growing. <laughs>
5: oh. Okay, so um. Trofim attempted to defend himself from this attack. He wound up in a six-hour debate with the Experts Commission where he basically argued that what he fed his animals and how he altered his compost for different experiments, his utter lack of control groups, all of that was meaningless. The details of his experiments shouldn't matter. What should matter was his results, which he reported, and they should basically just trust what he reported as the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would he lie? He's a scientist. Exactly. He's a scientist. Just go to the last page. Yeah.
3: Don't make me show my work. (laughs) The point is, whether I have a calculator or not a
5: calculator, the answer is right. (laughs) I'm going to quote from a book called The Lushenko Affair here. He had never troubled himself to be precise, and he insisted that precise data were not essential. Shrilly, he called attention to biological theory, to the progressive biological theory that had been developed, quote, in unity with the practice of collective and state farms, and that had always enjoyed the support of the party and state. Basically, he whined that his theories were correct with communism, and the party had always supported him. So why were they suddenly being so mean and asking for proof? Which, if you're Leshenko, this has got to be confusing. Yeah, you're yeah. like, you guys like me so much,
3: it was crazy. Some of the times I'm like, well, they're
5: not gonna like this one, and then you liked it even they're more. They're not gonna plant even more seeds what? closer together. All right, okay. Well, they know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's another quote from Lushenko affair the specialists stuck to their narrow task with devastating effect for Lushenko and his colleagues were simply incapable of sustained reasoning with facts and figures their favorite devise as the chairman of the investigating commission put it was to quote to say a single thing and hush up all the rest as long as everything looks good this was a perfectly obvious and deadly accurate characterization and would have been with respect to any of Lushenko's recipes at any time beginning in 1929 when he first became prominent with his scheme for vernalizing grain but that perfectly appropriate Response to Lushenkoism was 35 years overdue. Which we know it happened now in those 35 years. Yeah. Like 40 million people died. Oh, so many. <laughs> About a million people a year, maybe. Yeah, it's hard I mean, to, you A know. lot of that was Stalin wanting to kill the Ukrainians and the Kulaks and stuff. Like, there was other shit wrapped into that, but... It's an
3: impressive sustained production, you yeah, know? Like, of... I feel like a lot of the big um, death tolls uh, ascribed to one person yeah. are, like, in a bit of a tighter window, uh, and this is just, like, to just keep pumping out
5: deaths. Yeah, because you look at, like, the Nazis, and they were murder sprinters. You know, most of the killing they did was, like, 42 to 45, and then they were sort of out of gas. Lushenko's killing people for a really long right. time. Anyway. You know, you, you kill a man fish, he starves for a day. You teach a man to kill his fish accidentally, (laughs) then you've got multiple generations of people with no fish. (laughs) Think of the long game. So finally, at least, the Soviet Union's agricultural scientists were able to do actual science again. Quote, the confusion of political and technical authority was now declared to be a mistake. Specialists were to resume their laborious efforts to distinguish really worthwhile methods from those that only seemed so. Period. The 35-year error was not to be examined or analyzed. So they... understood Lushenkoism was wrong. They denounced Lushenko, but they weren't willing to like look back and really analyze how many people had died or how fucked up things had gotten because of their belief, because that was still, you know, post-Stalin Soviet Union was a bit more open, but they still weren't willing to like, Dig into just how fucked up things. Have for sure, and other people were, you know, shared some responsibility. Yeah, you know, a, a lot, lot of, of people yeah. shared responsibility. Yeah. It has been suggested by some historians that Trofim Lushenko may be the single individual most responsible for the fall of the USSR. The true extent of the damage he did to mankind is incalculable. Lushenko died in Moscow in 1976. The government waited two days to even announce his death. So in the end, he died obscure and discredited. But the politicians and officials who enforced his shitty science and praised him while he was Stalin's favorite were not punished, nor were the people who'd helped export his bad ideas to China after 1953, when the Soviets knew damn well Lyshenkoism did not work. But now, as yet another mark against our benighted modern age of conmen and bastards, Trofim Lushenko... Is enjoying a renaissance? No, <laughs> oh,
3: I barely got to relish. That was like
5: four minutes of him living in obscurity. Yeah, no, and now he's back to. I mean, it's the trophy the trofinissance. Oh boo! The <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They can't all be the meconissance. No, no, like, no, the, not uh, all the words. The, yeah. euphonically work the right way. No, it looks better on paper. Like trofinissance on. I, I can't even pronounce oh, it yeah. right. No, it looks. It looks like it should pronounce. Yes, but I'm not. You're not. It's not coming it. out right. Yeah. Anyway. Record yourselves trying to portmanteau Trophim and Renaissance and send it to us on Twitter. So, according to an article in Current Biology, over in Russia, the work of Lushenko has been picked up by, quote, a quirky coalition of Russian right-wingers, Stalinists, a few qualified scientists, and even the Orthodox Church. So it's coming back a little bit. Now one of the reasons for this is epigenetics, which is sort of a new finding in genetic science. We've basically learned pretty recently that certain things that happen in the environment, like living through a bad winter or a war, starving for a period of time, can be passed down from parents to children, meaning that to a tiny extent some of the ideas of Lamarckian genetics are not 100% wrong. This has been seen by some as evidence that Lushenko was right all along, even though epigenetics has to do with changes in genes genes and Lashenko didn't believe genes existed. The other factor is that these changes always revert after a couple of generations oh, or something. Okay. They're not permanent, but like if you live through a famine and you have a kid like right around that time, you can pass on certain things as a result of the fact that you were in that extreme state.
3: Wow. I mean, and this uh, I feel like the simple grade school version of genetics and uh, evolution I learned did not take that into <laughs> no. account and I probably got answers marked wrong that perhaps I feel like that's somewhat recent in the yeah, last Yeah yeah Epigen year X or X yeah epigenetics is pretty
5: yeah definitely Pretty recent that we've really gotten an understanding of it. I don't claim to be an expert on genetics. People are still figuring this out. But like, Lushenko didn't believe in genes. Right. So it's wrong to say people who were attacking Lushenko weren't saying nothing is passed down Like as a result of environmental changes. They were saying you can't reliably control for that when you're trying to figure out how to grow better grain. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Lushenko had declared the entire science of genetics to be, quote, an expression of the senile decay and degradation of bourgeois culture. So crediting him for epigenetics is a little bit Irrational
3: are the people though that are like giving rise to it again, doing it out of the ideological principle
5: of it. That is a little bit of it, I think. Okay, Um, some of it is because, and I'm not near. I'm not an expert on modern Russia, but like there's this because obviously Russia right now is not the Soviet Union. It's not anything close to a communist state, but there is a lot of longing for that period of Mm -hmm. time for a variety of reasons. Some of which there are things that were better back then, and some of which is just obviously the same way that people long for the 1950s and don't think about the fact that you know water fountains were segregated and stuff. So it's it's a complicated thing. I think why certain groups are starting to come back to these ideas, but it is definitely scary because that means that there's the possibility that Trofim Lysenko's very 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 dumb science has the chance to kill somebody again. Oh man! Which guys, if you're listening at home, spread your seeds. Yeah. Um, just put spread, your... spread your seeds. Ugh. Don't plant them too
3: deep. <laughs> You should be able to see them, but not too close together.
5: I've known a lot of really good farmers in my life. Mm -hmm. None of them planted millions of seeds per acre. (laughs) Oh, man. It's not,
3: yeah. It's like one of those gross things you buy at a state fair that's got like a little bit of like molasses and it's just kind of like sesame seeds. It's almost like a candied apple. There's like a weird, I feel like southern dessert that's just like seeds and goo in a ball. And you know what? It's gross. And I wouldn't plant it my ground and expect it to feed my family. That's I haven't
5: had a seed goo ball. I, I don't mean, maybe it's just a weird
3: thing now. that I was given that I was...
5: <laughs> Somebody just put some seeds and goo together and like, I guess let's that I wasn't
3: this Yankee some seed goo. I didn't bite at the state fair. It was just handed to me by a man at the front desk of a motel <laughs> I was staying at. I shouldn't have eaten that seed goo ball. <laughs> I'm you... still digesting it. <laughs> you just got
5: poisoned by yeah. someone. <laughs> oh, what man. state
3: were you in? I I just remember, like as a kid, that it was like, yeah. I mean, this is not a thing that I'm now. I I would be responsible to turn down a seat goo ball now. I guess was a child. I was like, this is a dessert. This feels like.
5: I can say, as a child in Texas, we played many a good game of Poison the Yankee. That was, that was everybody's favorite game growing up. Oh, on a hot day, no better way to pass oh. the time
3: than to kill a traveling northerner.
5: Oh, we just love making carpetbaggers yeah. sick.
3: <laughs> Grinding up glass, putting it in their grits, feeding it to them slowly <laughs> until their insides bleed out. The South. Uh, those are better times. Oh, boy.
5: All right. Well, that's uh, that's our episode on Trofim Lysenko. How you doing, Max? I mean...
3: I know that's not your style, nor is it the style of human history, but I wish the ending had been a little more uplifting rather than quietly covered up and now... uh,
5: Resurgent? Resurgent. (laughs) It it would be nice if people ever learned lessons from history, but if there's one thing we've learned from history, it's that we don't. Damn, damn thanks for having me on and depressing yeah thanks for coming on and being depressed by this you want to
3: plug some pluggables sure i have a 15 minute stand-up special on netflix go to the comedy lineup part two and um yeah i uh, i don't know how to farm oh also um seedgooballs.com use promo code (laughs) shaft uh but i now sell these balls um they're not good but they are heavy so, uh, yeah. yeah, if you need a heavy snack.
5: If you need a heavy ball, <laughs> Shaft is your man. <laughs> and I'm Robert Evans. You can find me on the internet at IWriteOK okay on Twitter. Uh, you can find this podcast's website at BehindTheBastards.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at @bastards_pod. So uh, check us out, follow us, tweet us your best attempts to portmanteau, trophim, and uh, renaissance. I really feel like there's a way. I'm just not getting it. Trofamasans? I don't know. Trofamasans? No. I'm not, I'm not going to try it anymore. Lashankavushan? Uh, uh, I don't know. That's, not <laughs> that <right> <laughs> that, that's closer. <laughs> all up. right. All right. All right. Have a good day. We'll be back next Tuesday talking about someone else terrible. And until then, I love about 40% of you. High Five Casino.
0: High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com
4: 18 plus.